Okay, tonight we are going to learn the spiritual and mystical aspects of the Seder and Pesach in general. There's, in every holiday, there's, there are two levels of celebrating or commemorating the, the holiday. The one which we all know about and is obviously very important is connecting to our history connecting to our past, our people. Each holiday reminds us of important concepts. It plugs us into the mission of the Jewish people, the destiny of the Jewish people. And to feel uh, that we're part of uh, an ancient people with a link in every generation and probably there's no ritual or evening that we feel this more than Pesach night because when we sit down on Pesach and I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this is last year Jews all around the world were telling the story and last decade and a century ago and a millennium ago, and two millenniums ago, and three millenniums ago. So when you sit down at, at Pesach night, it's like you really feel the, it's, it's a, a, a quaint saying to feel like a link and the chain, but it, it, is, it is really true, and you really feel it Pesach night. So that's one level of, of understanding a holiday. But there is a far in a sense, in a sense, a far more important level that is taught in the teachings of Hasidut. And that is to make the holiday personally relevant to you. In other words, when we sit at the Seder, we're connecting to the Jews who got out of Egypt 3,350 years ago. And it's very important. But the question is, well, what about you this year? That's what we're going to learn about tonight. We're going to learn about how to take the symbols of Pesach, the rituals, the laws. And obviously, we can only do so much in, in one hour. So we're going to start, we're going to go around... And we'll, each person will read one paragraph, and we'll, we'll build on it little by little. So we'll start with you. The Seder pro- provides us with an opportunity to relive and not only recall the Exodus from Egypt. Rabbi Gloria, the Holy Ari, interpreted the verse, and these days were remembered and carried out. Esther 9.28 to mean that when a holiday is properly commemorated the spiritual influences which were manifest during the original miracle are expressed and carried out again okay so this is <coughs> this is a, a new idea where he's saying that every holiday when it comes around the original energy that created the holiday is is there it reappears and the way I'll explain it is like this there's three ways of experiencing time or thinking about time one is linear you just you just go right the other one is circular where one is very aware of cycles one is very aware of cycles and the third is what I'll call a spiral like this it is is circular but it's more like a spiral now let's say you have to imagine this on on the vortex this is Pesach this this is the line of Pesach so what happens in, in the spiral is that every year you c- we come around to Pesach and that energy is there, it's waiting for us. The next year we come around, but we're in, a, we're in a higher level. And the same with all the holidays. All the holidays have, like let's say, a line 
on the spiral where that special energy is like I said like stamped into reality <coughs> yeah um, maybe also we're going farther and farther <coughs> away from like being slaves and getting closer to Russia uh, yes absolutely and we're going to see how that um, connects with the, the, the steps of the Seder the idea that you're saying right? in, in a sense we, we're getting farther and farther away from our past but closer and closer to Mashiach, to our, our future. Okay? So if you would think, everyone just use your imagination for a minute, the night of, of Pesach is electric. The energy in the air is, is dynamic. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's the full moon of the spring, <coughs> We're up all night. We're after four cups of wine, right? We're all feeling pretty good, but 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 the atmosphere is charged. It's just charged, and the only question is: Are we plugging into it or not? That's the question. Are we plugging in? Okay, let's continue. Our sages emphasize the contemporary relevance with which we must regard the exodus. In every generation, a person is obligated to regard himself as if he personally left Egypt. Okay, so this is also very important. <coughs> this is actually a saying from the Haggadah. In every generation, a person is obligated to regard himself as if he personally left Egypt. So the teaching in Hasidut is... Don't say as if. Look at Seder night and realize that we're not really talking about someone else leaving Egypt because we were there. Our neshamas were there. We have a teaching that every the soul of every Jew stood at Mount Sinai. You've heard this teaching before? The soul of every Jew who would ever live, because I don't want to get into this, but and had lived, or and had lived. Or there was no what about a convert or descendants? Ah, convert? And, and it said that all future converts, their neshamas were there also. In a way, obviously, we're talking at a very high mystical level. But as far as the Jewish people, we're told that there are arch, archetypal souls. And these same souls come around over and over and over again. So according to Kabbalah and Hasidut, we came out of Egypt. Not someone else. Maybe not we in this body and looking the way we look now. But the same way we also did the sin of the golden calf. Yes. We yes. Yes. did everything yes. in history. Yes. Now we're talking from a Kabbalistic and mystical point of view. And that is true. And so that's what it says in the Haggadah. It says every person is obligated to see themselves as if they came out of Egypt. This Hasidut says this, don't say as if. What, it, what it's really telling us is we, we were there. We came out of Egypt. If we look at the story that way, it has a completely different uh, effect on us. In other words, it, 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 it's like... It prods us to really think back and try to recall somewhere deep, 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 deep in our neshamas that really experiences. Let me ask you something that's much more contemporary. I know I'm just speaking for myself. Um, especially <coughs> when I was younger, I used to think all the time if I would have been in the Holocaust. Like, like, what would I have done? What would it have been like? I, I, I try to like place where we can experience that we were there. So, do you hear what, how that's a very different way of experiencing the seder? Then you're talking about someone a long time ago that has no, nothing really to do with you, or if you're looking at it, this is my story. This is my story. Could you say it's Sahara? 
Okay, so so you just brought the point I was I, like I'm going towards. No, 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 that's perfect because you put it on the table already. That um, you know what? Let's read two more paragraphs because we'll answer exactly what you're saying. Exactly what you're saying. Are you next? Yeah. Okay. Um, but how is it that? But how is that possible for an individual who has never seen Egypt or a taste of slavery? How can people who have never experienced anything like the hardships suffered by our ancestors personally identify with the miracle of the of redemption? Okay. The next paragraph continues this thought. Hasidic thought explains that Egypt is more than a geographic location, and that there are forms of bondage other than physical slavery. The Exodus was an actual historical event which occurred and was chronicled for posterity. However, beyond the historical significance paid off holds, we must appreciate the concepts of slavery and redemption in spiritual and metaphoric terms, intensifying our awareness of these concepts until we actually feel ourselves leaving Egypt. Okay, so the point here, and, and this really answers your question, is, and this is how we started when I said there's two levels of understanding and experiencing the holiday. One is connecting to our people and our history, and the other is to make it personally relevant. So right now already, um, you don't feel it so much because you're you're not like in a in a big house. But everyone's already cleaning for Pesach already, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone is is you know buying the shelf paper and checking their their Pesach kelim and vacuuming under the beds and this and that while we're preparing for Pesach what what we need to focus on is what is my personal slavery what emotional prison am I in what holds me back from accomplishing what I want to accomplish what uh, psychological blocks do I have that keep me from expressing myself? This is what's called our personal Mitzrayim. What is the root of Mitzrayim? Mitzar, narrow. Kol ha'olam kulo gesher tsar. Tsar is even the two letter. Mitzar, Mitzrayim. That this whole world is a very narrow bridge. And everyone has their, we'll call it, hang-ups, phobias, uh, limitations, narrow places inside, in the heart, in the mind. And this is what we need to get out of. And this is the challenge of making it personally relevant on Pesach. It could be called the Yetzirah. Everyone's Yetzirah is keeping us in enslaved to forces a little bit greater than us. And every year we have to not just clean the house and think about people a long time ago. The point is to, to look at what our Mitzrayim is now and get out of it. Now there's what, in a sense, don't misunderstand me, but what good is it to celebrate that we got out of Mitzrayim 3,000 years ago but I can't get past my hang-ups now I'm completely blocked in I'm, I'm, I'm in a corner and I can't get out so what kind of Pesach is that? so that's what this energy leading up to Pesach is all about is to identify what our Mitzrayim is and then take the action to leave Mitzrayim to get out did everyone everyone follow that? this is true of all of the holidays this is true of all of the holidays is to look at it at the, on two different levels a historical level and a very personal level all of them all, all the holidays ok let's continue Safer of Sinat declares, a person is motivated by his deeds. The feelings described above cannot be ordered or expressed at, the, at will. 
Rather, we must work to create an environment in which they will be naturally evoked. This is the goal of the Cato. Its text and symbols are intended to provoke our personal experience of freedom. Thus, each of the articles used during our Cato must be conceived as a tool aiding us to achieve the spiritual goal. Okay. So, this is the introduction <coughs> to understanding the Seder. Okay, so let's take the other sheet now and let's read the first. Order of the Seder. There are 15 steps leading to the temple, corresponding to the 15 shares. Sound and sound. Similarly, the Seder follows the 15 steps. I the process of Okay, so in the temple there were 15 stairs where the Levites <coughs> stood and played the most magnificent music the world has ever seen. There was never a uh, orchestra or choir like in the temple. And they were on 15 stairs which correspond to the 15 Shira Malot that David Melech wrote. So the order of the Seder is that we ascend, someone mentioned about ascending before, we ascend 15 stairs. And what we're going to learn tonight is uh, how the Seder encompasses all of history from Adam and Eve to the inception of the Jewish people our exiles of redemption Mashiach the world to come and the resurrection of the dead on Pesach night we go through all of history all of time is all encapsulated in this one ritual we call the Seder ok let's skip the the, the order now and let's go to the, to the bottom paragraphs and we'll continue the names for each of these different stages are referred to as similarly in signs. Many different rabbis stress the importance of reciting these signs allowed for the Seder and the use of the Seder as it, as it progresses. Okay, let's continue. The use of the terms similarly in signs is significant. Signs of identification are necessary for the turn of a lot of Similarly, all the spiritual qualities which we have lost can be resolved restored through the signs of the Passover statement. Furthermore, our sages teach the Torah required by signs. God promises Moses, promised Moses, when you take the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Connecting the ex- exodus from Egypt with the giving of the Torah. Similarly, each year the personal experience of the exodus of the Seder to receive the Torah and Shavuot. Okay. So, let's understand these things of signs that each one of the steps of the Seder is called a sign. So I'll refer you back to Rosh Hashanah. When we come home from Shul and Rosh Hashanah, we make Kiddush, we make Hamotzi. What what do we do at, at that point? Remember Rosh Hashanah night? And when we begin the meal, does anyone remember what we do? We eat. Um, Yes, we eat, but we eat certain things. Ah. Apple. apple and honey fish what else pomegranate right. pomegranate right uh, um, what? dates <laughs> leeks carrots beads what do we just eat it what we say we say shechiano and different like blessings you know Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the year the day of judgment like everything you do on Rosh Hashanah is very significant the first thing we do is we like dip uh, apple and honey and, and we say a blessing that this should be a good year and we eat a fish what do we say on the fish Right, the head and not the tail. And what about the pomegranate? Right, so your best the chuyot karimon. So in the Gemara, these are called auspicious signs. 
Well, I'm saying this all because of the idea of simanim, of signs. So what are we being taught here? We're being taught the following. There's two ways to look at life. There's a person who looks at life and everything that's happening to him or her and thinks it's all, there's no rhyme or reason. It's all coincidence It's or fate or sometimes cruel fate or things just happen the way they happen and there's, there isn't significance really in anything it's just that's the way the cookie crumbles it's just that's is good luck or bad luck and then there's another person who experiences life completely different that everything that happens to them they see is significant they see that God is trying to tell me something that they're sending me a sign from heaven that I have to be aware I have to like pay attention to what's happening to me because it's all significant do, do you catch what I'm saying? so that as you know there are people who go through life and like nothing matters to them very much and they, you just kind of get away with whatever you can get away with because nothing really matters hopefully no one here lives their life that way and we see that in a sense the hand of God is in everything that's the whole story of Purim right? God's name is not mentioned but his, he's behind the scenes at every moment of the Megillah that's the whole learning of the Megillah is to look beyond the superficial story and see how is God moving things so that's this idea of the signs of Rosh Hashanah night and Pesach that these 15 steps are called signs and that each one is significant and each one represents a whole teaching the sages did not put this together haphazardly each step along the way leads to the next one and captures all of of Jewish history and really all of human history these 15 steps okay so now we're going to like switch gears right we're going into second gear here moving up the mountain and I want to go through a scenario with you of how we can see the Seder as capturing all of time now you should know we have this expression Shivin Panim Torah. so this is one of the 70 faces right there's many 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 more there's hundreds of Haggadot out there and each one has a unique um, perspective a unique way of understanding what the sages did there's more than one Haggadah? No, no, meaning, no, no, meaning the, the, the commentaries on the Haggadah. Mm. If you, like, let's say if you go to Meir Sharim now, outside of the stores, there will be, like, like, scores and scores and scores of different types of Haggadahs, different Rebbe's, different commentaries over the years. But the words are the same. The words are the same. But, but my point is, is the commentaries. <laughs> Every generation, people see new insight into the Haggadah and that tells us what a incredibly brilliant work the Haggadah is and it was according to tradition it was definitely put together with Ruach HaKodesh because if something do, if something doesn't have Ruach HaKodesh there's only so much you can see in it right? if something is, is written in Ruach HaKodesh a person can look into it every generation and like all new dimensions will jump out at them that's the nature of, of something being written with Ruach HaKodesh are you supposed to have a different mindset if you're a slave if you're a communist Russian and you're not closely sovereign with Seder are you supposed to be thinking of it differently like you really aren't coming out of Egypt but that you're still struggling to come out or are you supposed to think like everybody else that night and think that you're free that's a really excellent question. I would say, I would say both. I don't know if you've read different accounts of of how they kept 
seders in Auschwitz people did people did they didn't they, they didn't have many of the things in the Seder plate would do the Seder continuing now with we're going to go through the 15 steps of the Seder according to a certain scenario as I pointed out this is not the only scenario but is a very very deep and profound way to go through the Seder so the first step is called Kadesh, which is making Kiddush. Kadesh, of course, means holy. And the next one is Urchatz, which is washing the hands. So, in our tradition, water always has to do with, with purity. So the first two steps are what we call Kedusha and Tahara. The first step of making Kiddush is called Kadesh, is where we connect to holiness. And the second step is, let's go to the mikvah. Like, I'm feeling so holy, let's, let's dunk in the mikvah. So this takes us back to the Garden of Eden. In other words, this idea of this ideal state of, of holiness and purity take us back to the Garden of Eden. And what's the hint to that? The next one is karpas, where we eat something green, something, some vegetable. And we're told one of the reasons we do this is to make the children ask, but it's also to connect us to the spring because the energy of Pesach is intrinsically connected to spring. Now, just like we're going from slavery to freedom, all of nature, by going from winter to spring, is going from dormancy to new life. I look at the trees in my yard, and you know, new, the new buds, the new, brand, the new leaves, the new growth all of nature is going from exile to redemption from slavery to freedom so we have a vegetable we have something green to remind us of the spring but it also reminds us of the garden of Eden so this is the first three steps remind us of what we call the utopia of the garden of Eden where, where there was a, we'll call it a pristine state of holiness and purity in the Garden of Eden. Then comes Yachatz. What is Yachatz? No? Breaking of the middle matzah. The breaking of the middle matzah. Now, we have to look at the symbolism here. We have three matzahs on the table, which we're told stand for Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. That was Cohen, Lady Israel. Or Cohen, Lady Israel. We have the four cups of wine, which represent Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. So we have the three Avot and the four Imahot. But these three matches, again, go according to this scenario. Like I said, there's a hundred different ways to learn these symbolisms. But we can also look at the three matzahs as past, present, and future. So for Yachat, which matzah do we take and break? Present. The middle one. And, and then what do we do with those two pieces? We hide one. Okay. Right, yeah, later. Yeah, but we, at that point we just put it back, but we hide the afikoman. Okay, again, it's for the children to keep them interested. But the symbolism here is... Hide the past. The bread, what? No. Hide. Part of the present. Part of the um, of the reality of life. The world to come and this world. That's the future. Yeah, but 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 we have to tie it to breaking. We broke What's the broken? Leaving the garden ah, Okay. Okay. What we're told is the first exile. If you look through the not only the Chumash but the Tanakh. Jewish history and world history is a 
is an ongoing cycle of exile and redemption. The first one, though, is leaving the Garden of Eden. That is the first exile. That is the first exile. And so when we break the matzah, it's like we're, like we're indicating that this, this ideal utopian past somehow got broken. And ever since, the present has been broken. In other words, the past, there was an ideal past, and the future is an ideal future. We're looking forward to Mashiach and a much better world. The only problem is like the middle, right? The middle matzah is broken. And this, this represents what is called Shvirata Kaling, the breaking of the vessels, the breaking of, of history, all of the exiles and war and hatred and etc., etc., that is in the world is represented by this breaking. For me, it's one of the, the deepest parts of the Seder is breaking this matzah because it, it, the, the, there's so much wrapped up in, this, in the symbol of, of breaking the matzah. And then we hide a piece away. Later, we'll see what happens when we retrieve it. But it's, it's like this, past, this part is like hidden away from us as, as to why so much suffering in the world. Pesach and I, we're looking at why is there slavery? Why, is, why do people oppress other people? Why is there war? Okay, I'm going through this relatively quickly. We could develop this to, to you know, great, great depth. The next is Magid. Magid is actually the mitzvah of the night. One of the 613 mitzvahs in the Torah is to tell the story of coming out of Egypt on the night that it happened. So when we tell the story, and this is the, the, the main part of the Haggadah, this is, is the mitzvah. So Magid comes from the same root as Haggadah, which means to tell. To tell. Lahagid is to tell. We're taught that the word Pesach, I'm sure some of you have learned this, can be read Pesach, which means Pe is what? Yeah. Mouth. What is sach? Uh, conversation. Conversation. So it, we're told that Pesach means the mouth speaks. That being able to tell the story is part of the healing. You know what it's like? It's like someone who, ha- who ha- has, has problems or has something weighing deeply on their heart by being able to tell a friend or your parents or a psychologist or whatever, a rabbi, it, it, helps, it helps just being able to express it. So the Magid, we're telling all of the story. Remember, we start by saying our fathers come from idol worshippers. And we go through Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We go going down into Egypt and, and, and how Yosef was sold to slavery and how we became slaves and we tell the whole story we tell the whole story so I learned from my teacher a definition of exile and redemption it's a, a, actually I, I'm going to tell you two because I have two, two rabbis, two teachers I'll tell you from each one of them but they personalized what exile and redemption means, what slavery and freedom means. So Rav Ginsburg said, what is exile on a personal level? The inability to express oneself. In other words, when you feel all bottled up, when you have things that you need to say, but you can't say them, that you have things that you need to express but you don't know how let's say you're an artist and you're like you have this vision of this painting but you can't you can't get it on canvas it just doesn't come out right that's exile and what is redemption 
the ability to express oneself. That is freedom. When one can say what they have to say without fear, they can talk to people what's on their mind, they can they can develop their talents and they really it really works. Get that poem down on paper, get that song out, get that painting, whatever it is. So exile is the inability to express oneself. Redemption is the ability. Now I'll tell you from Rav Shlomo what he said. And I learned this one like three years ago. And I'm telling you, I'm I'm not saying this just off the cuff. It absolutely changed my life. Because when I read it, I needed to hear this. So he said like this. And and you you can change the circumstances into anything you want. But he said, he said, you know what freedom is? Last week, I was depressed. Yesterday, I was depressed. An hour ago, I was depressed. One minute ago, I was depressed. Freedom is, I can change right now. I do not have to be depressed. He said, that's what freedom is. Freedom is not being bound by our past being able to break free at any moment I'm feeling angry at someone I could stay angry for a day or a month or a year or a lifetime or I can let it go freedom is the is understanding that if I, I don't have to let my emotions rule over me I do not have to let other people's opinions rule over me. I do not have to let peer pressure rule over me. I can, if I want to decide to change, I can do it on the spot. These are very important definitions of what, of what slavery and freedom are and exile and redemption. So Magid is to be, is the telling of the story is, represents this, this ability to express oneself. Motsi and matzah, motzi means to go out. So you remember at the end of Magid, we, we leave Egypt basically. And we begin halal. If you remember from the Haggadah, after we've gone through the whole story, and we go through the Red Sea, and we're, we're free now. And we start to say halal. And then we have the meal. So motzi is, is going out. We're out. And then we have matzah, which is called the bread of faith, that we're, we're just at a, a, a new level now. We're just at a new level. A level that's called pure faith. Not blind faith. We don't, we don't really believe in blind faith. Pure faith is a completely different thing. And then, strangely enough, we do the morer and Korach. So everyone asks, well, wait a minute. Why are we eating the moror now? We're free. We should have eaten the moror in the middle of Magid when we're telling the story. When we're telling about how, how, how bad it was. But, but the example that is used here is that we appreciate our freedom. I think everyone knows this in your own way. Uh, what Joni Mitchell said, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Right? You don't know what you've got till it's gone. You have it so good. But if you forget where you're coming from, then you lose perspective of how good it is. Look, you've been in Israel now four or five months. It's starting to feel a little bit like, you know, like kind of second home, right? Or maybe hopefully first home. In a certain way, by the time you leave, you probably will already be taking Israel for granted. Right? And then wait till you go home though. You could be excited about something and, and look forward to something for years. And then after a couple of weeks, it's already like old hat. You're used to it. The novelty is worn, worn away. So we dafka eat the moror to, to give us perspective. If we didn't know Jewish history, we'd still probably appreciate Israel. But if we realize where we were 60 years ago, then having 
Eretz Yisrael means a whole different thing. Okay? So that's the Morar. And <coughs> then we have Shochan Orach. At this point, we're out of Egypt. We're, we've, we're singing Halal. We're, like I said, we're, we're moving to a whole different level. You, I'm sure you've heard this idea that when the Sheikh comes, there'll be a feast, the Viatan. You've heard this? No. It's, t- it's talked about that after Mashiach comes, there'll be a great feast. And it's called the Feast of Leviathan. So here is Shulchan Orach, that we set the table for the Feast of the Year. Right? This is like Feast of the Year. Does everyone know the... I'm sure some of you know the story of the, the two beggars. You want to tell them? Two beggars are out in the street somewhere in Europe. Very close friends. One's Jewish, one's not. So every day they would go out together to try and raise money to feed themselves. All of a sudden the holiday of Pesach comes around and the Jewish poor man knows that on this holiday they're supposed to bring strangers into their homes to feed them as part of the, part of the mitzvah. So he goes to his friend and he says, this night's going to be the greatest night of your life. And they go, come with me to shul, we'll get invited back to some family's home, we'll have a great meal. So the non-Jews are a bit skeptical, they know he goes with them in the end. They go to shul, each one of them gets invited to a separate family's home. So he goes back with them, sits down, talking about the non-Jewish, non-Jewish guy now, he goes back with them, sits down, they say some words of prayer, okay, he understands. Uh, they go, they wash their hands, he understands, you know, got to be hygienic, alright, the meal's coming soon. Um, they give him suddenly this green leaf to eat. And he's like, a bit of a weird appetizer, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a good way to start. Then they go into an entire long story. And he's sitting there, and he has no idea what they're saying, because he doesn't understand the language. And they're reading and reading and reading. And suddenly they finish. Next thing he knows, they give him another green leaf. He eats it, and his mouth begins to burn. He doesn't understand what's going on. And he gets up, and he is furious. He just sat there for two hours while they are singing and dancing and reading this great whatever it is they're doing. He's waiting for the greatest meal of his life. And the meal is this, like, bitter herb. He has no idea what it is. He screams, he gets up, he curses the entire table, and the Jews runs outside, goes back to this place where he meets his, uh, his Jewish friend every day. So he's sitting there now for hours and hours. Dawn starts to break, and all of a sudden he sees his Jewish friend coming in, walking a bit happily, he's a bit drunk. He comes in, and uh, the Jewish guy comes up to him and asks him, So, how was your night? I had a great night. The guy looks at him and he's like, What great night? Are you nuts? I came in, I sat down, they gave me some weird appetizer to eat that I'd never seen before. They started singing and dancing and reading this long book that wanted to make me fall asleep. And then for a main course, they give me this another leaf that basically put my mouth on fire. It was a horrible night. What are you talking about? So the Jewish guy looks at him and tells him, You fool, had you only waited a little longer, had you lasted through the bitterness you would have tasted the sweetness of the greatest meal of your life. So, <laughs> teaches us the lesson that if you can get through the bitterness in life, you'll be able to taste the sweetness of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Lorenzo can tell a story better than I can. No, it's great. That was very good. Very good. Excellent. I have to call you back. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's a great... I mean, it's a funny story, but there's so much truth. He, he said so. If you just could have waited... Just a little longer. Lorenzo can right? <laughs> Okay, so this is the meal of the year. This is like, I'm sure from your homes also. Remember how we said before that when you sit at the Seder and you realize how every generation, but also each person looks back in their own life and remembers all of the Seders. So my wife except for a few occasions, makes the exact same food every Seder. <coughs> and it's like, you know, you, you have that, the, the, the soup, and like you can taste 
like 30 seders there. It's, a, it's amazing. All of those memories come back. It's, a, it's, it's incredible. So it's, it's, the, it's the Feast of Leviathan. The Mashiach has come already. And then is Tzafun. Tzafun is when we bring the Afikoman. But what does Tzafun actually mean? We, it's, see, that's what we call the dessert, but it's not the translation. Hidden. Tzafun means hidden. Why? Because the Afikoman is hidden away. And who brings the Afikoman? Child. The children. So what is this symbolic of? The next generation. Right. The children are the future. Right. We're already in the future now. The Shiach and the children are bringing all of the hidden things are now revealed. Right? They bring the Afikoman back and that, and that represents Isaiah said that after Mashiach comes that the knowledge of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That the revelation of God will be wide open. God is hidden now. But, and, and, and we're so used to Him being hidden it's hard for us to contemplate that there will come a time where the presence of God will be totally revealed. It's a whole different consciousness that we're talking about. It's a whole different world. And this is represented by the children bringing the Afikoman and revealing that which was hidden. And then we, we say, Birchad Amazon, we bless. Because at this point, it says, it says in the Gemara, in this world, right now, we bless on the good, and we also bless when something bad happens. When something bad happens, you say, Boruch Dayan Emet. You say, blessed is the true judge. You're not blessing the evil thing that is happening. No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's you're accepting that somehow God knows best. It's also for the good. But it says in the Gemara, after Mashiach comes, there will only be good. We'll only, we'll only bless on the good because that's all that there will be is, is the good. So then we say Barech and then Hallel. This is no ordinary Hallel though. This is a once a year Hallel. It's called Hallel HaGadol. It's the full Hallel that we're used to but then is added to it Hodu Lashem Kitov Kili and Nishmat Kolchai that we only say on Shabbos. And then we end it with Shochen Ad which is also from Shabbos. So can anyone tell me what this represents in the future? That the Halal ends off and we're davening Shabbos prayers. Harachman hu yanchilenu Yom Shekulo Shabbat A day that is all Shabbos. So we're, we're, we're singing Shabbos on, on Seder night. Okay, then comes Nirza. Everything becomes acceptable. In other words, at that point, we, we understand that everything, and this is not easy to understand, you have to be on a, like a, a poor, it's almost like being on a Purim level, to understand that even though we went through all the breaking and all the slavery, we, we understand that everything is the way it should be. And that's a very high level to reach. To understand, on one hand, not to accept injustice; on the other hand, to understand that the world progresses exactly how it has to <coughs> to reach its final uh, conclusion. Okay, now there's only one more step to go. What do we do after the end of the seder? Clean up the table. Um, what do we do before we clean up the table? No, we did near it already. But what comes after? Ah, we start singing songs. Okay. That's not part of Nirza? No. No. Nirza is over. So. But then, there's a very strong custom to sing Echad Mi Yodea, Kel B'nai, and uh, a few other songs. What's the last one, though? Chagadya. No, no. Chagadya is the last one. 
Okay, everyone thinks it's a cute little nursery rhyme. It's the history of the Jewish people. No, it's symbolic. Symbol. Each each of the each of the steps represents exile redemption. Exile redemption. Exile redemption. Okay, we're at the end of Chagadya. Shochet kills the cow. Kills the cow. What happens to the shochet? The angel of death comes and shechs the slaughter. And what happens to the angel of death? Destroys him. Right. That's the end of Chagadya. So what does that represent? Yeah. Death will not is is the, is the abolition of death and the resurrection of the dead. That's the, that's the very... Because if you ever, if you ever think, why did they put this, this children's song at the end of the Haggadah? Because really the words are very, very deep. But at the end, God comes and shucks the angel of death. And that's what the prophet says, that it says in, in the future, death will be swallowed up forever. But where does the resurrection happen? So people will live forever. Well, see, once we live forever, right, that implies the resurrection of the dead. And that's, that's brings us to the end of the Seder. Like I said, this is one scenario, but it's a very, very profound way of understanding how all of world history is symbolically inside of the Seder. So we always think of it as the history of, of the Jewish people, which is true. But this idea of understanding why we're singing Hallel at night and the connection to Shabbos and all of these things bring <coughs> us into the future. That we should experience the future now. And because the Seder night is so full of energy, it feels like after Mashiach has come. And that's why, I didn't mention this before, right before we sing Hallel, we open the door and invite who in? Eliyahu. Eliyahu, because who comes to announce the Mashiach? Eliyahu. Eliyahu. Right, so you have to have Eliyahu at the Seder. Right, because he's the one who announces Mashiach. I'll end with a bracha. That each and every one of us uses the time leading up to Pesach to really look very deep inside. Not just look under our beds for crumbs, but to look inside for crumbs. To look inside and see where are we stuck? What's holding us back? What weaknesses do we have that we could really overcome? And then, on Seder night and Pesach, to really, really concentrate on, I am going to leave Egypt this year. I'm getting out. That's all there is to it. I am leaving. And that we all experience the freedom of Pesach as the freedom of our people, but also on a personal level, that we feel that Pesach really has affected us and has helped set us free.